Hello, and welcome to Coverage Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Taming of the Shrew and 10 Things I Hate About You. The Taming of the Shrew was written by William Shakespeare. Supposedly. And- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Allegedly. You wouldn't let me finish my bit. <laughs> and it was written sometime between 1590 and 1592. Mm-hmm. It's, it's thought to anyway. Yes. So. Uh, and the film adaptation came out in 1999 and was directed by Jill. Oh, God, I did it again. Junger? J-U-N-G-E-R? Pronounce it how you will. Okay. <laughs> Hunger, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is our first, this is, a, this is a lot of firsts. A lot of firsts. For us. Going on. First of all, Shakespeare. First Shakespeare. Also, play. First play. And earliest uh, basis for an adaptation, I believe. I know, this blows Emma out of the water. Way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> by quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, a lot a lot going on with this one. And we actually haven't done, we, we, this was a frequently requested episode. Yeah. It was requested by Allie St. John, one of our patrons. Yes. Also, I believe by your sister, although I'm not positive. Mm-hmm. And I think someone else at least. My friend Shannon. Shannon, that's mm-hmm. right. And so, but we kind of grappled with this for a while because it's not based on a book. It's based on a play. Yes. And the thing about plays is that the text that you have, like the script for the play is not really the main version of it. No, no one writes a script for something. Yeah. And they're like, that's it. I can't wait for everyone to read this. Yeah. It's like, like, that's not the point of it. No. The point is that a play is performed. So the issue that we were dealing with and why we haven't done a play so far is because we can't, in our mind at least, we can't really look at the script of a play and be like, let's compare this to like some adaptation because technically each adaptation will be different. Because yeah. each performance is different. So it's just a lot more complicated than a simple like text of a book and then adapting it to the screen because, you know, really a play is meant to be performed. So exactly. It's like why I'm annoyed when J.K. Rowling releases uh, her screenplays and her the, like the script for The Cursed Child as books. Don't get they're, me started. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not books. They're not meant to be read that way. No. Like, if you're a screenplay writer, like, yeah. Or if you're, like, super interested, which I guess a lot of people might be, but... Yeah, if she wanted to, like, mass market it, they should have just, like, filmed a play version of it and, like, released it that way. Yeah, it, it's... There's a lot of... That, this, is a, anyway. this is a whole different anyway. thing. But <laughs> it, it, get, it does get to that point of, like, a, a script is not... a. It's not the final version. No. So the way we tried to resolve this is we did read it, but we also watched a filmed version of The Taming of the Shrew, which yeah, is a more like faithful adaptation. Yeah. Than 10 Things I Hate About You. And that was uh, directed by Franco Zifarelli and starred Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton and was in 1967. Yeah. And this is uh, this was actually a pretty good version of the play. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed this. Yeah. And it was like production wise, it was very well done. I mean, it wasn't like an actual play production. It was definitely a movie, mm-hmm. you know, the sets yeah. and everything was like movie. But in terms of like an adaptation of a play, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. And I mean, we rented it HD, I think, and it looks really good. And yeah. I don't know. A lot of the humor was really good and Mm -hmm. production wise. Yeah, the whole thing was I was very happily surprised. Me too. Plot point 
like, you know, disregarded for yeah. the time being because yeah. there's a lot with this play that we'll get into. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it, it was about as good of a live adaptation as I could have imagined almost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it really brought the humor and the characters and the dialogue to life for us, which is what we wanted. Yes. And that's the reason we watched a different adaptation as well as 10 Things I Hate About You. And especially with Shakespeare, it helps to see the actors uh, giving a little more context to the words. Because yeah. sometimes when you're reading Shakespeare, you're like, I have no idea what anyone's been saying for mm-hmm. pages now. Yeah. But when you see the actors play into the jokes more and give it more definition, it helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So that helps too. Mm-hmm. Um, we also took some classes, some Shakespeare classes in college. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, we were not um, Shakespeare scholars by any means at all. Um, I took two Shakespeare classes in college and Ian ended up ended up taking one senior year yeah. kind of for fun. Um, and we both really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was uh, it was it, it, I, I loved we had a really good teacher for it who just loved the material and mm-hmm. just brought a lot of life and information to it. So I do feel like I have a little bit more of appreciation for it now Yeah, uh, that I took that class. Mm-hmm. So And now we are, now here we are. Yes. Doing the play. Discussing Shakespeare. Discussing. Uh, quote quite, unquote Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> quite a problematic play, but oh boy. Let's, let's get right into it. Yeah. Yeah. So when the, and, and, Please forgive us, anyone who's not familiar with this play, as I yes. imagine a lot of you are. You're probably like, I'm here for 10 things I hate about you. I'm not, <laughs> but bear with us because it is, there is a lot of interesting stuff here, especially yeah. comparing it to the movie. Mm-hmm. But there just are a lot of weird Italian names. Yes. <laughs> that we will absolutely butcher in Ooh, pronunciation. Super bad. I have a list. I'm holding two feet away from my face so I can make sure. The story starts off, though, with Lucentio yeah. and Tranio, who's like his kind of right-hand man, like servant, servant person. But we didn't talk about the induction scene. Oh, my God. Yeah, because this is, this is a very odd thing about Taming of the Shrew. Yeah, as I was reading the notes, because whenever you read like the text of Shakespeare, it usually comes with explanatory notes that tell you like what's going on and what the words mean and stuff. And as I was reading the notes, it kept talking about how this play might not have been the complete version mm-hmm. that it might have been, you know, edited later. And this might have only been a fragment and certain scenes were cut for various reasons. So it starts out with this induction scene is what they call it, where they have this drunk guy and then this Lord is like playing this elaborate trick on him. And then they're like, Oh, let's watch play. And it basically just sets up the play. Yeah. It's like a play within a play. Yeah. It, but the- so to speak. But the weird thing about it is that, like, they never go back to this induction scene after yeah. the beginning. There's, like, one part where the drunk guy is like, oh, what what's going on with this play? And then after that, it's, like, never mentioned again. Like, the yeah. play ends and they don't wrap up that other storyline. So this adds to the, the thought that this play is kind of fragmented and not in its really final form. And I remember reading in the footnotes that I don't, I think this is the only play Shakespeare has ever done this with. Yeah. And it was like a popular mechanic at the time to kind of, I think, frame a play in this way. But this was the only time Shakespeare ever did it. Yeah. And it's kind of, in this version at least, very weirdly done. And, yeah. And a lot of when they, a lot of performances of this, we'll just leave it out completely. Yeah. The film version we watched, which is why I forgot, like yeah. completely omitted it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So there's a drunk guy watching a play is essentially what that is basically so we have lucentio and his man tranio coming to 
Padua, I believe, whatever, some Italian city. And uh, they, Lucentio is there for his education or something. Yes, he's there for uh, college, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and upon arriving in the city, he, his eyes are beset upon the beauty of Bianca. The fair Bianca. The beautiful and gorgeous. And as in all great Shakespeare, he immediately falls in love with her. Just on the spot. Has to have her. Yeah. And then <laughs> he and Chanio kind of watch as this scene unfolds with Bianca. So her dad has two daughters, Bianca and Katerina. Mm-hmm. Katerina is the eldest daughter. And we find out that not only is uh, Lucentio in love with Bianca, but there are two other suitors who are madly in love with her and yes. want to marry her. We well, have... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Hortensio. Yes. And Gremio. <laughs> By the way, (laughs) there's another character in this play who we won't talk about, really, because he's not important. Yeah. But his name is Grumio. Yes. So you have Gremio and Grumio. Yes. And I just want to say, fuck you, Shakespeare, for (laughs) giving two characters who are only a vowel different apart in names. Yeah. Why? Why (laughs) would you do that? (laughs) Also, what kind of name is Grumio? What kind of name's Gremio? I don't know. What are any of these names? <laughs> it just sounds gross, like Grumio. Yeah, no, it sounds worse than, I mean, Gremio's pretty bad, too. Yeah, like a gremlin. I just think of, like, grubs yeah. or something, you <laughs> grubs know? Grubs and gremlins. None of them are good. No. So these suitors are vying for Bianca's hand. They're going to her dad, and they're like, let us marry Bianca. No, let me marry Bianca. No, I want to marry Bianca. And the dad's like, listen, Bianca can't get married until her older sister, Katerina, gets married. And if you want to marry Katerina, you guys are welcome. And then they're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. Because Katerina has a bit of a reputation in the area as being the most hostile, unlikable, vicious woman on the face of the earth. Yeah. She basically, like, you say one word to her. And she just kind of like takes you down verbally or physically or physically just annihilates you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So no one has any interest in Katerina, but Bianca, everyone's in love with. Yeah. So we kind of have this this setup where all these men want her, but also have to figure out, well, we have to get her sister married off first. Yeah. So essentially, there's like a lot of threads going on. We'll mention them, but they're not like. The most important. Yeah. Essentially, Lucentio, the guy who arrives at the beginning, is like, I'll pretend to be a philosophy teacher. Yes. Because Bianca needs uh, tutors to Mm -hmm. help her. So I'll pretend to be a philosophy teacher and go into her house. Yeah. And then, like, get to be around her. Seduce her. By lying about who I am. Yes. And he's like, well, if I'm going to be this uh, tutor, then... Tranio, you have to be me. And yeah. Tranio's like, Pretend sure. Pretend to be me while I'm here in the city. And so they like lay it all out. It's planned. And then around this time enters a new character, Petruchio, yes. who is, and there's a great entrance in the movie version that we watched with Richard Burton playing this character. He's very loud, drunk, kind of this very large presence. Yeah. Just kind of this man who's very like, knows what he wants, is very, like, confident, is very, like, brawlish and loud and drunk and... Exactly. And this is where watching the movie helped me a lot because 
in later scenes, it's very apparent that he's kind of a drunk and yeah. a fool. Yeah. But in the first scene, that's not the most noticeable thing, mm-hmm. especially because his uh, his his servant man, who is uh, Grumio, yeah, uh, is, is kind of an even bigger idiot. Yeah. So by contrast, he seems to have it together. Yeah. So I, it, it seemed a little weird reading it, but watching it when he's being a drunk belligerent idiot i was Mm -hmm. like okay i understand this more now yeah and he runs into his friend hortensio who is one of bianca's suitors and basically tells him he's like yeah my father died and now i need to like get some money so i'm here to like marry a rich lady yeah (laughs) basically and hortensio is like oh do i have the lady for you yes and basically says listen this woman is gonna have like a huge fortune but Everyone hates her like she's the worst. And Petruccio is literally like, if she has money, I could I couldn't give a fuck. Like, I yeah. don't care. He's like, I don't care. If she's old. I don't care. If she's ugly. <laughs> I don't care. If she's a demon. Riddled I will marry disease. her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I got this shit locked down. Yeah. So as long as she's got the money, like I'm there. Yeah. And Hortensio is like, awesome. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So he and Gremio kind of meet up and they're like, listen, I found this guy. He can marry Katarina. And then once Katarina's married, the two of us can duke it out for Bianca. But and they also kind of like pay Petruccio to woo Katarina, like a small fund. They they agree to like Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, they agree to like finance his wooing of her. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That kind of changes how I think about something in 10 Things I Hate About You. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. And then just for some icing on top, Hortensio is also like, I'm also going to dress up as a teacher, as yes, a loot teacher. A loot teacher. So I can also like seduce creep Bianca. on Bianca. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have so many in classic Shakespeare fashion, like just yes. false identities. People disguising themselves as other people. Confusion. And God, classic. reading it is so confusing because like one character is addressing him as one name, but mm-hmm. that's not really his real name. And then yeah. it just like the convolution just ramps up so much. Oh, yeah. But so in the film or in the play, I keep saying the film because it's just that's where my mind goes to immediately. But yeah. I, I do want to say in the film, this is an amazing scene, though, where everyone like literally every character shows up to Bianca and Katarina's father. Yeah. And they're like crowding him. <laughs> they're bribing him for Bianca's hand. They're like, we have a man here for Katarina. Also, here are two tutors. Yeah. And the scene is played so overwhelmingly mm-hmm. that I really loved it because it's something that you don't quite get from reading it. Yeah. But watching it, it's a really funny scene and how it plays out. It is. Yeah. And of course, Petruccio kind of like is the main focus at the end of this. He's like, okay, come on. Like, let's agree. You'll pay me money if I marry your daughter. Okay, let me see her. Like, let's get this done. Yeah. So finally, it's Petruccio's turn to woo, to to tame the shrew. Yes. As we've been led to believe by the play. Mm-hmm. And he kind of has a little monologue to himself before he does anything where he's like, if she like says that she hates me, I'll say her words are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And if she says she doesn't want to see me, I'll say like, can't wait to see you tomorrow. Like yeah. this whole kind of thing where he's like going to kind of fuck with her mm-hmm. essentially is his whole plan. Yeah. So these two finally meet and it plays out that way a little bit. Yeah. And this is such a pivotal and exciting scene. Mm-hmm. This is probably the best scene in the play. Yeah. In my opinion, at least, because we have these two characters going head to head (laughs) in a verbal, like, 
battle of wits and uh, in some play in some actual performance versions and in the movie we watched like coming to physical blows as well yes um so it was just it's exciting because you feel like they're evenly matched yeah and also is petruccio alluding to eating out her asshole <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's, it's certainly possible yes there's talks of tongues and tails yes so could be could be just plain old oral sex but you don't we don't know. <laughs> we, I, I, I um, told Adina what tossing, <laughs> tossing your salad meant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> While watching the film, so you learn so much by watching Shakespeare. I did. I did. <laughs> this scene is so fun in the movie, though, because it, is. it literally plays out because they have the freedom of being in a movie and not being confined to a stage. It just kind of takes place over the entire house where they're like running from one room to the next and then to a hallway and then down the steps and then up into the attic and then on the roof and then like, yeah, yeah, just everywhere. He's chasing her around and she's like fleeing, but also like taking him down Mm -hmm. with her like verbal quips and also like punching him. (laughs) Elizabeth. (laughs) Throwing barrels into his path. (laughs) Elizabeth Taylor in this movie, she is like. She's so good. She is like enraged the whole time. And I love it because she is just like smashing wooden furniture with her bare hands. Yeah, she like pulls the railing up from the stairs. (laughs) She like gets Hulk strength purely based on her rage. It's great. But I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So if you ignore the fact that it's a man like physically like chasing a woman around. Yeah. It is. It is a fun scene. Yeah. It's a good scene. Yeah. So. But yeah, like you said, it does play out like. Petruccio plans where she keeps resisting him, but he keeps saying like, oh, you're great and lovely and we're, we're so in love and la la la. And then finally he goes to her dad and is like, yep, she's in love with me. And uh, she's going to pretend to not be in love with me until <laughs> the wedding day. We've, we've agreed on that between us. But uh, yep, it's settled. And her dad doesn't even, he's like, great, okay, perfect. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to be rid of her. Awesome. Cut to pretty much their wedding day. Yeah. Where Petruccio is super late, and when he shows up, he's dressed like an idiot and yes. is completely drunk off his ass. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in the play, in the script version, it's actually like another character talking about the wedding. We don't get like the wedding actually happening mm-hmm. in the play. It's like, oh yeah, I was at that wedding, and this thing happened, and this thing happened. Which I'm glad that the movie chose to like actually show us instead of yeah. just have someone tell us about it. Totally. But yeah, it just plays out into this ridiculous scene where. Petruccio causes like a huge scene is just like an asshole (laughs) (laughs) and then Katerina tries to say that she won't marry him and he like cuts her off and then the the priest is just like okay you're married all right that's it (laughs) and everyone's just watching it like a car accident like they just like can't look away they're like this is unbelievable everyone is like I wouldn't miss this for the world if there were cell phones (laughs) back then everyone would just have their cell phone out recording it it. yes exactly (laughs) so they get married And then Petruccio is just like, okay, cool. I know we have this whole like wedding reception thing, but I got to go. He's like, I got some stuff to do. Mm -hmm. So he like makes. He like drags her off. Katerina leave with him and they just like take off in the middle of the wedding. Yeah. And then everyone's like, wow. All right, let's eat. Yeah. (laughs) That is, that's some crazy shit. Okay. (laughs) Let's just keep going. (laughs) So now we're going to take a break. And talk about 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, the two, The Taming of the Shrew and 10 Things I Hate About You do have some similarities, but their plots diverge so much that we've just decided to kind of break it in half. 
yeah, as much as we can. Cause yeah. Jumping back and forth too much will get too confusing. So, yes. but here is the point. All of you, 10 things I hate about you fans can start listening, can start really paying attention. <laughs> yes. The boring Shakespeare stuff is over for now. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love the Shakespeare stuff as much as 10 things I hate about you, but it's time to get into late 90s uh, teen comedy mode. Yes. With uh, this film. So it's really funny because around this time there were a few different like Shakespeare slash like classic literature adaptations that have are, are put into a teen modern setting. You have Clueless, which we did an episode on, which is based on Emma, a Jane Austen novel. Yes. Um, and then you also have Baz Luhrmann did Romeo and Juliet, which took the actual dialogue from Shakespeare and just put it in a modern setting. And just gave them to two sexy young <laughs> actors. Sexy teens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then... And um, also more guns. Yes. More, <laughs> definitely more guns, more sex, all that good stuff. Uh, what else? Oh, um, they did an Othello adaptation called O. Oh, and then later on in the 2000, early 2000s, they did She's the Man, which is a Twelfth Night adaptation as well. So this is kind of like coming after... Emma and Romeo and Juliet kind of sitting squarely in there. Yeah. And it's so interesting that this was a trend. I love it. I do too. And it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's just so odd. Yeah. Especially since a lot of these are like, especially I, at least I'm thinking about clueless, like mm -hmm. they're California yeah. summer high school films, mm -hmm. which is just like a weird genre that like, I don't know why they took place in those areas, mm -hmm. but they did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I don't know. It's a strange decision, but. Mm -hmm. This one's in Seattle, so. I guess it is Seattle. I mm -hmm. it, it just is sunny and green, so I just think <laughs> California. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's fun, though, because it's showing that, like, these are classic plots that, like, could happen mm -hmm. here in the modern world. And also, they're very unashamedly teen, like, Pe almost like period pieces you know what i mean yeah clueless is so 90s and like this is very late 90s as well but it's just kind of it just kind of like embraces it and is like we're going all out with how ridiculous this is well yeah and it makes sense because it, it's so funny because with shakespeare people just when you say shakespeare in their mind they think of like stuffy incomprehensible dramatic plots yeah but like so much of his stuff was like super crude yeah. and like really funny and mm -hmm. slapstick and you know just very it was meant goofy. to be entertaining absolutely yeah mm -hmm. and i think sometimes if you don't know much about shakespeare you don't think about that yeah but i think these adaptations like 10 things i hate about you really bring that back to the, the surface spirit, yeah they take that like the language barrier away mm -hmm. and they're just like here's how wacky this actually is yeah so they're kind of revitalizing it in a way for modern audiences mm -hmm. which i like yeah i'm all about it i enjoy these um so let's talk about the movie yes we have we start out with cameron played by baby joseph gordon levitt he's so he's baby so cute. His just his haircut and yeah, he's so his short, sad eyes. I know <laughs> he's so <laughs> he plays the Lucentio character. Yes. Basically coming into a new city, but he's going to a new school. Yeah. And so we get to be introduced to the school through Cameron's eyes. And I love this is such a classic of teen 
movies Mm -hmm. where they go through the school and they're like, you got the stoners, you got like the business people, you got the cowboys, the popular people, you know? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I know. That's why is that in so many teen movies? I don't know. Also, half of those like genres of kids aren't a thing like the cowboys no what (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the like fancy coffee drinkers and yeah that's not like no one did well maybe i don't know maybe in the seattle area like there's always the stoners and then the popular people and then like the overachievers but besides that and then you also have the white kids pretending to be jamaican oh yeah (laughs) that was real rough (laughs) yeah i don't know why they included that Yeah, so baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm-hmm. who I would probably just call him that from now on. Yeah. His name's Cameron in the movie, but uh, is friends with Michael. Yes. Who is basically Tranio mm-hmm. from the play. And he immediately falls in love with Bianca. Thank yes. God her name is the same. Her name is the same. Cameron but- is super in love with Bianca. I burn, I pine, I perish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just immediately is enamored with mm-hmm. her. So, but then we quickly find out that she's not allowed to date at all just that's off the table while she's in high school she's not allowed to Mm -hmm. but baby joseph gordon levitt won't be deterred that easily we also have joey who is the typical like douchebag popular pretty boy pretty boy yeah he does modeling on the side he's super like self-interested but he's kind of interested in bianca and there's just like a couple lines that show us why he's interested where a friend of his is like you'd never be able to get her and joey's like watch me so he's kind of doing it as like a personal challenge and he is kind of like basically represents every other suitor from the play yeah hortensio and gremio Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like his function a lot in the story essentially then we have cat obviously being Katarina, mm-hmm. who is the shrew. Yes, played by Julia Stiles in one of her first roles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is like Katarina in the play. She is known for her wit and being a bitch to everyone. Being a heinous bitch. <laughs> yes, as Miss Perky calls it. <laughs> exactly. So no one's too eager to uh, to go out with her, it seems, in the school. No. Who else? And then, of course, Patrick, mm-hmm. the bad boy, played by Heath Ledger. Yes, and w- also one of his first roles. With the world's widest smile. The most charming smile. Sure. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's too extreme, I almost think. Yes. I joked that, like, it's like two people are just off frame of the camera, like, with fishing line attached to his mouth. Yes. And they're just yanking on either end. Because I don't <laughs> understand how someone's mouth stretches that much wider than their teeth yes but he does it he does it he does it yes so basically cameron and michael want cameron to date bianca and cameron pretends to be bianca's tutor or he He is is her tutor but but he doesn't know french (laughs) no he does not (laughs) so and bianca tells him look i can't date unless my sister dates it's my dad's rule um So she kind of uses Cameron. She's like, if you find someone for Kat to date, then I could maybe go out with you or like implies that. Yeah, exactly. And so this is where baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt hatches his scheme Mm -hmm. about if we can find a boyfriend for her sister, I can have Bianca all to myself, essentially. Yes. I want to take a moment and talk about the humor of this movie just a bit. Yeah. Because... 
it's good in places, but it's also not great in places in my mind. Really? So this first like stuck out to me with the Miss Perky scenes at the beginning. Yeah. Who is the guidance guidance counselor counselor played by Allison Janney. Allison Janney. Thank you. You are there for me for every name I can't remember. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. So we get a scene with her early on that's very funny where she's like writing like an erotic novel. And I forget who she she first talks to be to Joseph Gordon Lovett's character. Yeah. And they have a scene together. And a lot of the humor is there's kind of like awkward pauses. Yeah. Between jokes where we just get like weird character reactions for like kind of too long. Mm. And for me, it like kills a lot of the humor. I And honestly, I think a lot of it's just editing. Really? Like, I think the editing just needs to be snappier because mm. a lot of the times they're like, OK, then show Heath Ledger's weird expression for like five <laughs> seconds. And it's just kind of like way too long. Hmm. And I felt like for me personally, it killed a lot of the jokes. Yeah. And then with Miss Perky as well, this was also strange because two scenes later, she comes back yeah. and it's like the same joke. Yeah. Kind of coming back into play with mm-hmm. her writing the novel. Yeah. So I'm like, OK, we're already back to this. Like <laughs> this could have been like a little farther along, probably. Yeah. And then after that, Miss Perky is nowhere to be found. No, we don't see her again. What a weird thing to establish a character like her, like yeah. in scenes that are like so close together at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. she has a relationship with almost like every character. I mean, I think it's more about establishing those characters rather I, than her. Like she's the vehicle. I for agree. Them. Yeah. But it, I agree that to have her be the one each time, like maybe they could have had someone else expose this character, but to have the three of them, them in the office. So they have Joseph Gordon Levin in there. They have Patrick, Keith Ledger, and then they have Kat, Julia Stiles in there as well, kind of showing us. Um, especially with Kat and Patrick, they're kind of like loner, yeah, bad boy, bad girl type personalities. And it does work well in that way, mm-hmm. but it's also just weird that like all that revolves around her yeah. and then she's literally never seen or heard from again. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe scenes were cut later on. I don't know, mm-hmm. but it just was odd at the end when you mentioned that she didn't show up again. I was like, holy shit, you're right. That's yeah. so weird. But, mm-hmm. uh, but in regards to the humor There are parts that are awkward that I think work better. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the second half of the movie where the dad is working out. Yeah. That works really well, I think. Like, Uh there's just some awkward pauses and everything that are much funnier and I like a lot more. So, yeah. Parts of it are definitely good. It's just kind of a mixed bag for me. I really like the dialogue in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think the dialogue is so, is very funny. Yeah. And it makes use of that. And there's a lot of really great one-liners. Kind of like Clueless, where, like... The the lines are what is funny, you know what I mean, from the characters. I totally agree. Uh, what what's the one about like you can be overwhelmed oh, and yes. underwhelmed, but can you just be whelmed? <laughs> I think you can in Europe. <laughs> yeah, like which apparently, fun fact, uh, in some pl- parts of Europe they did use the word whelmed, mm. but it fell out of use like around the fifties. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. Because I made a note later on, because that it comes across as like a ditzy line. Yeah. When she says, I think you can in Europe, because yeah. it sounds like she's just confused. Uh-huh. And then later she says something else that's actually smart. Yeah. And I wrote, I made a note. I was like, is Bianca smart or not? Because I like wasn't sure. Yeah, I think she is. And I mean, this whelmed thing is real fact. So that's true. She <laughs> she knows more than me, obviously. Yes. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, where, where are we at in the plot, though? Uh, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is trying to find someone to date Cat, uh, and he eventually hones in on who else but Patrick. Yes. The bad boy. The bad boy, <laughs> where all these rumors about him are floating around the school, like, because he wasn't in school for a year. He, like, took a year off or something, which maybe explains why he's slightly older than everyone else. I don't know. Yeah. Also, I'm... The way he spoke, I could not tell if he was supposed to have an accent or not. I mm-hmm. genuinely thought he was supposed to be American. Oh. And his Australian accent was just slipping through sometimes. I think Miss Perky makes a comment, or someone does, about him being Australian at the beginning. At the uh, Okay, because I know he talks about it later. Yeah, it's like a throwaway, throwaway line at the beginning, I think. Okay. Do you think they're just covering up for his poor... English accent? I don't think so. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe I'm being mean. I don't know. Um, so they decide that he's perfect for Cat because he doesn't uh, scare easily. Um, but there's a lot of really funny rumors going around about him. One, that he sold his liver. Two, that he ate <laughs> an entire live duck. <laughs> Three, that he went to prison. Uh, four, that he had a porn career or something. This was one of my favorite recurring jokes where yeah. they kind of keep mentioning these rumors About periodically him. to him. And he's like, what? Yeah, like Michael one time when Patrick is drinking something, he's like, should you be drinking that if you don't have a liver? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, huh? I did enjoy that a lot. Yeah. But they realize, though, that they can't get Patrick to do anything for them unless he's being motivated by something more than goodwill. Namely money. Money. Yeah, so they decide to find a backer for his dating. Enter in Joey, the other guy who's after Bianca. Mm -hmm. And I really, the whole plot for this movie, I like a lot the way they interweave the characters in a way that like makes a lot of sense yeah how they work in joey so he'll be paying the money Mm -hmm. to patrick so he'll go on dates with cat so there is a scene where joey and patrick agree to this yeah and now patrick is trying to seduce and woo cat Mm -hmm. which just ends in a lot of great scenes yes where she's like what who what are you doing (laughs) yeah why are you here we do have to talk about though uh, Kat and Bianca's dad just for a tiny second. Yes. Because he is so funny. He uh, is a gynecologist, so delivers babies all the time <laughs> and is deathly afraid of his daughters having a teenage pregnancy. So instead of getting them on the pill like any normal person would do, he's like, you can't date. You can't look at men. Don't even go outside. <laughs> he makes Bianca wear the belly. Yeah. The, the... It's like a pregnancy simulator, <laughs> like what you put on your shoulders yeah. and it gives you like a, a belly i love that was so funny yeah he, his character is also very reminiscent of the father in clueless i think yeah where once again it's like in a in a teen comedy with like a female lead and it's like well we don't need two parents let's just give them one yeah. let's make it the dad because that's like more conflict make him like gruff and like a career type guy that's busy but also like kind of cares heart of gold you know exactly yeah so the dad was very very good and well played in this movie so as patrick is trying to woo cat he runs into difficulties because cat does not give a shit about anything and that's why <laughs> one of the things I love about her character and what I love about Katarina in the play originally as well is she doesn't care what people think no you know what I mean and she is just very 
kind of living her life, doing what she likes. She listens to the music that she likes. She drives a car that she likes. She hangs out with people that she likes and doesn't feel the need to socialize or be popular in ways that her sister Bianca does and feels pressured to. And she also doesn't really have an interest in dating because most of the guys that she is surrounded by are intimidated by her and want to change her. Exactly. I do also like, though, how it points her how do I want to put it? Her coldness yeah. and her like moral outrage mm-hmm. towards like kids her age and like society is oftentimes kind of reflected back on her. It's as, challenged. As, yeah. yeah. Which I, you know, there's one line where she's going on about like, I, I can't, you know, contribute to the moral play. And like Bianca just like finishes her sentence for yes. her, just kind of showing Consumer this is capitalist or yeah. something materialistic showing that this is just something that she says a lot and mm-hmm. like maybe doesn't exactly mean as much as she may pretend to. Yeah. So I did like that, you know, they're, ref- they're showing that she's maybe not as right as she pretends to be. No. And I think as the movie goes on, we do see that, she has these walls up to not let people in and that she maybe should, you know, relax that a little bit and not believe the worst of people because, you know, there are people that care about her, people that would be her friend and accept her for who she is. But what I do like about her is that she's not trying to appease anyone. No. Yeah, I I totally agree. So in an effort to help Patrick woo her, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bianca go into her room and start spying on her to figure out what music she likes, what things she's interested in, Mm -hmm. to give Patrick more information. We also get (laughs) the scene and mention of the panties. The black underwear. The black underwear, which is just... As everyone knows, the rule of the jungle is that if a woman owns a pair of black underwear, that means she wants to have sex. But the funniest part was the underwear that Bianca holds up just look so totally normal. Yeah, it's just like normal underwear. They're it's just black. black. That's yeah. the only thing. It's not lingerie. It's no, it's not, not like lacy, skimpy, nothing. Yeah, so I just I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like the black underwear. Like they make a big deal about it, but they're just, they're just so normal. Yeah. I don't know. But they get Patrick to go to this concert that Bianca, or I'm sorry, that Kat is going to. And at first Patrick doesn't want to go because um, it's clearly like more of a female focused band. Yeah. But he goes. He puts on his shiny pants. His shimmery pants, <laughs> which we were excited to notice yes. in the movie and just kind of approaches her and talks about bands that she likes and is like, I like this band too. And sort of just meets her on her level instead of trying to like corner her into dating him. He's just sort of like, here we are. Maybe like we should go out in the way that in the play that Petruchio is really like conniving about how he's going to woo Catalina, Katarina, sorry. (laughs) Uh, This is where Patrick starts to be a little more um, not manipulative or anything, but just kind of being a little bit more like, okay, I'm going to play this coy or I'm Mm going to be a little like more relaxed about this kind of putting almost more effort and thought into it. Yeah. Into how he's going to like seduce her basically. Mm -hmm. So and learning about her and like what she likes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So he manages to like get her to like half heartedly agree to go 
to this party with him. Bogey's party. Bogey's party. (laughs) Which is funny because he didn't intend to have a party and Michael kind of does this as like a revenge on him. (laughs) These, those characters are the most absurd over the top geeks of like, they're like, oh, that must be Kevin with the Brie. Yes. (laughs) I just love 90s. Nigel with the Brie. Nigel. I I just love these 90s teens with their super exaggerated stereotype. I know. Character arcs. It's so great. I love it. So we have the stereotypical teen party with the music and the beer and like people having sex. The kids and the dancing. (laughs) And And because... Cat is going, Bianca is also allowed to go because Bianca's only allowed to go out to stuff if Cat is going. I really enjoyed how in this version, the whole you can only date if your older sister's dating. Yeah. Was kind of like brought about by the dad just as an excuse. Yeah. To like aim the blame at each other mm-hmm. and like get him out of the picture. Oh yeah. Like it's not some weird I don't know, strange marrying thing or anything like that. Like he doesn't actually care if Kat is dating or with anyone. He just like doesn't want to have to deal with Bianca complaining to him. Yeah. And instead she's complaining to Kat. Exactly. So (laughs) I I thought that was a really smart way of handling that plot element of the story. Mm -hmm. And at Bogey's party, we get Cameron realizing that Bianca was using him so she could hang out with Joey. And we get sad Joseph Gordon-Levin face. He's so sad. Just like tears in his eyes. It's just like, oh no. (laughs) He's so hurt. (laughs) I know. This arc really quickly turns around though, because Bianca realizes that Joey is annoying and idiotic and is quickly like, you know, maybe I don't want to hang out with him. Almost immediately. She's like, wait, no, Cameron is the boy of my dreams. Yes. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That was a real quick about face on that whole subject. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, also when, um, Kat sees Bianca and Joey kind of hanging out, she gets really pissed and then starts drinking a bunch, gets super drunk at the party, dances on the table, Hits her head on the chandelier, passes out. Yes, in Heath Ledger's arms. Yes. She has moves when she's dancing. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah, she just, like, gets it. Apparently, this scene helped her get the role in Save the Last Dance. Oh, I for like, see, I forget what her career path was or what movies she was in. Yeah, which was, like, really popular. I can tell, though, because, I mean, she's a really good dancer in that one scene. Yeah. All she needs is a drink or two in her. And I know. She's up on the table <laughs> busting some moves. Oh yeah. And like everyone makes fun of her later for it. And I'm like, what are you talking she about? Was awesome. She was great. <laughs> I mean, aside when she hit her head and like almost got a concussion, but so there's a whole kind of bonding scene with her and Patrick yeah. when he's like trying to keep her awake. Cause she might have a concussion, mm-hmm. which I mean, she didn't hit her head that hard, but no. anyway, <laughs> and he drives her home only for her to try to kiss him, and mm-hmm. he rejects her. Which, kudos to Patrick. Yes! Because Kat is clearly drunk. And so he's like, listen, like I don't want to do this right now. He says, like maybe we can do this another time, basically. Mm-hmm. She reads it as a rejection and gets really pissed at him about it. But, to be fair, like he just doesn't feel comfortable no. kissing her in the state that she's in. Like, I'm like- she literally like threw up 
yeah, on his like shoes. A like. minute ago. <laughs> now, that was a really good Patrick moment. Yeah. What isn't a great Patrick moment is at the party. Yeah. Cameron is very upset because Bianca has he's realized Bianca doesn't like him and he's yeah. kind of complaining to Patrick. And Patrick gives him a speech about like, you know, I know you're twice the guy Joey is. Are you just going to like give up? Because yeah. like, or, or do you do you truly love her? Is mm-hmm. she worth it? And he's like, yeah, no, she is worth it. And, and I'm like, no, don't. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> Don't give the speech that makes him feel entitled. I mean, I think he was just trying to encourage him, which it was meant to be like a sweet scene. I I, I do get that. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just it's one of those because I mean, this especially comes out later when Cameron has a scene with Bianca in his yeah. car after the party. And he kind of has like this whole pouty complaining thing to her. And he's like, you know, when people talk shit on you, like I defend you. Yeah. And- I learned French for you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like. Okay, she doesn't dude. owe you anything, man. No, it was a little shitty that she kind of used you. Yeah. Because she wanted to date Do- Joey. But I mean, you're taking it way too far. Mm-hmm. But, she, but then she kisses she him. kisses him anyways. Yeah, so. <laughs> I guess that's happening now. Yeah. But I, I just wanted to mention uh, Patrick's little speech to him because that's just like it's such a common thing. Yeah. For kind of romance movies like this about like. You, if you love her so much, you have to just keep showing it to her. Even if she's shown she has no interest in you, you just got to keep, you just haven't done it enough, man. You just got to keep pushing. And which is not the strategy to use. No, it's such a bad thing to try to do. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So let's go back to the taming of the shrew. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to wrap it up. Yes. So after the wedding, Petruchio and, Katarina are back at Petruchio's place, and this is where Petruchio implements his diabolical master plan to tame the shrew mm-hmm. using classic torture methods. Such as denying her food. Starvation. Uh, denying her any sleep at all. Yes. Also, like, tr- giving her things but then destroying them because you're, like, not good enough. Yeah. And so, like, the idea is that he's doing it because he cares, but it's also, like tormenting her psychologically yes and also almost straight by definition gaslighting her mm-hmm. making her feel like she's crazy yeah this is the i was like this is like such textbook gaslighting that mm-hmm. i'm like did shakespeare invent gaslighting <laughs> did people see this play and they're like wow this guy's got some great ideas about how to <laughs> mentally <laughs> manipulate and torture our wives and loved ones yeah i mean he Petruchio compares this to taming a hawk. And I don't know anything about taming hawks, but apparently you do deprive them of food and sleep and so that they would be more servile and docile. And so when you offer their, them food, they'll be more likely to accept it and to warm up to you because you are feeding them when they are in like a weakened state, basically. Mm, yeah. So, you know, just treating her like an animal, not a person. No. There's uh <laughs> there's a scene where they get invited to Bianca's wedding. Yeah. And so they're traveling to the wedding to attend it and there's a scene where he tells uh Kat- Katarina that the the sun is the moon. Yeah. And then they come across an older man on the road and he tells her that it's a woman. Mm-hmm. And thankfully the movie 
plays this off as more like she's just tired of whatever shit he's trying to do and she's just going with it. Yeah, because he threatens to like turn them around and to not go to the wedding. Yeah. Not let her wear like nice clothes to the wedding, not let her eat basically. And so she's finally like, yeah, fuck it. It's the moon, whatever. Like (laughs) whatever you say, I don't care. Like it's fine. Because I think in the in the play, you could definitely interpret it and read it as she's like legitimately been brainwashed yep. to believing whatever he has to say. Yes. He's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> oh, man. So hard and yeah. so fast, too. So fast. So efficiently. It's it's, it's quite frightening. Upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so while this is all happening, Bianca and Lucentio are falling in love and of course, all this this whole time he's disguised as the tutor. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, his servant Tranio, who is pretending to be Lucentio, is also trying to marry Bianca. Yeah, but like not legitimately in like a distracting for, way for uh, Lucentio. Yeah, even though he's doing it as someone else, so it's like very like yeah what. <laughs> I guess just to appease the father. Yeah, but he he has to lie about owning a lot of money or like having an inheritance from his father yeah in order for her dad to let bianca marry him yeah but of course this isn't true so he has to find a man to play his father yes so to play the father of the man who's pretending to be lucentio (laughs) (laughs) so he does this yeah and this all culminates with a scene where we discover that the old man that uh katarina and petruccio meet on the road is Lucentio's actual father coming to visit him. (laughs) And we get a scene where he shows up and he shows up to the house Mm -hmm. and he's like, I'm looking for Lucentio. And the man playing his father is like, who's asking? And he's like, his dad. And he's like, I'm his dad. I'm his dad. And his real dad's like, what? Yeah. It's this whole scene. And then they get other people involved and literally they're ready to like cart the real dad off to prison before the real Lucentio and Bianca, who are fresh off from getting eloped somewhere secretly, secretly, show up (laughs) and they're like, oh, sorry, dad. And then he's like, that's totally fine. Yeah, it was actually a pretty stressful scene, like reading it. I was like, oh, my God, this poor guy, like he thinks that his son is dead. And then they're like going to cart him away to prison. And the servants that like he's known since they were little kids are like betraying him in front of him. And then his real son shows up and is like, oh, I did it for the pussy, you know? (laughs) And the dad's dad's like, like, it's fine. He's like, you don't have to tell me about doing it for the pussy, son. Yeah, and also Bianca's dad is like not pissed that... Lucentio was lying to him about having all this money either. Yeah, no one's no like, one's upset. Okay, whatever. <laughs> like everyone is suddenly cool with it. Yeah. That he was lying and also has no money. Yeah. But he's like, damn, you already got my daughter to love you. So Fine. what am I gonna do? <laughs> yeah. So then we go into this wedding scene where they're celebrating the wedding of Bianca and Lucentio. And Petruccio and Caterina are there. And also Hortensio is there because he married some widow, like, somewhere in this time frame. He was the other guy pretending to be a teacher. Yeah. And then he just married this random woman. And Gremio, no one knows. He's probably dead. Yeah, he was old. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Creepy and old. Yeah. Is is the best way to describe Gremio. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, I have the best wife. And then Petruccio's like, you haven't seen anything yet because I have brainwashed Katarina. Mm-hmm. So they devise this whole test because now like all the wives have left the party or this part of the party. So it's the men and the women. And Petruccio is like, 
let's do a test. We'll have a servant run out to fetch our wives for us, and we'll see if they come and how long it takes them. How quickly our wives, when we call to them, they come running. Like a dog. Yes. Like they're racing their wives against each other, yes. essentially. Yes. So who who goes first? Lucentio yeah. calls for Bianca, and Bianca's like, eh, I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hortensio calls for his new wife, and she's like, I barely know you. I'm not coming. <laughs> and then, of course, Petruchio calls for Kate, or Katerina, and she comes immediately. Um, and then she grabs the other two women and then proceeds to give an entire speech about how women are dumb and soft with <laughs> feeble bodies and they should just lay on the ground so that men can step on them. Yeah, they're like, men do so much for us and we do nothing. And if they call for us, the least we can do is come to their every call and beckon. Yep. And it's this whole speech. And in the movie, it's played out very sincerely, at least it seems. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no indication of, like, sarcasm or, you know, being dishonest about it or disingenuous. But apparently in other versions, it has been played before as this very sarcastic, joking speech Mm -hmm. by Catalina. Katarina. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like, it has been played as Katarina getting one over on Petruccio. Mm -hmm. Like, being like, wink, wink. I'm playing along because he's such an idiot. Yeah. And like, I'm telling him what he wants to hear, but I'm going to go ahead and like do what I really want behind his back. You know what I mean? So this, it's interesting because this scene can be played a couple different ways. It can be played straight where Katarina really is like, yes, I believe this now, you know, or it can be like, I'm just saying this and wink, wink. We know that like, this is not true. Um, Which is Kind of cool that you can play it in different ways. Yeah. I think generally it still doesn't take away from the fact that this is a very problematic play. And oh, no, like there are a lot of problems that I still have with it, no matter which way you play this scene. But it can kind of go in a couple different directions depending on the performance. Yeah. And in case you're thinking like, oh, is that sarcastic interpretation like a new thing because it's but no actually because the first version of that that did that was like in 1930 something yeah there was like a 1920s version it was like a silent film Mm -hmm. slash talky iteration of this movie that took that last speech in a sarcastic way so Mm -hmm. it is cool that even that far back they're like no i don't think she should be tamed by him like she should still have her independence yeah and um yeah, and not just be completely brainwashed by Petruchio. So mm-hmm. I do, like you said, it's very cool that you can play it that way, which is why seeing a play like this is so important as opposed to just reading it. Yeah. Because your first in- intention of reading it is always just, I think, to take it at face value. Mm-hmm. And you could, like, obviously skew things in your head to be one way or another, like, if you want, but... You know, at the end of the day, it's up to anyone's interpretation. So and you do discover new ways of thinking about it when you see people perform, which is what's so great about plays is that they can be changed and like slightly altered. Even if the dialogue and the script is exactly the same, the way you can portray it can really um, change the way the play feels. Yeah. And there's something I especially like about seeing Shakespeare being performed because The interesting thing about it is if you want to change anything, they can't add any dialogue because (laughs) 
no one can write Shakespeare but Shakespeare. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, no one can insert any kind of, like, dialogue trying to mimic it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the most they'll do is insert lines like that. That's just like a name. Yeah. Like at one do- at what point the dad is knocking on Bianca's door or Katarina's door mm-hmm. and just is saying her name over and over again. Yeah. And there are other scenes that just play out totally silently mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, like there's a scene at dinner where Katarina and Petruccia were just like exchanging this look that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of like a lot in their faces and emotion about maybe what's going on with them. That I really enjoy with like no dialogue. Yeah. So like I think in that way when you're making a film version of Shakespeare, you have to be a lot. You, you have to be very clever and thoughtful if you want to change anything and mm-hmm. how you do it. It does so. allow you to be inventive. Yeah, exactly. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the end of the play. Yep. Let's get back to ten things I hate about you. Yes. You specifically. Number ten. <laughs> <laughs> so as we left off. Uh, Kat was pissed at Patrick for rejecting her when she was drunk, which I don't know why she's upset, but whatever, she's upset. <laughs> um, and so in order to win her back, Patrick decides to do an elaborate dance sequence where he serenades her on the bleachers with a marching band. Yes, and it's one of the best scenes oh, in the yeah. whole movie, mm-hmm. him singing. I, I actually don't know the actual Can't name. Can't take my eyes off of you, yes. I think. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just... A, a wonderful scene when he starts running away from the security guards. And yes. Very iconic. Really showcasing uh, Heath Ledger's charm and talent. Dialed Perfectly up, in this scene. Dialed up to 11. Yeah, he like won all of our hearts. Like immediately <laughs> we're all just like. <gasps> like, why doesn't Heath Ledger sing to me from the bleachers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then in order to uh, help him out later when he has detention for this stunt, Cat mm-hmm. has to distract the teacher in detention in a way that I couldn't, I knew it was coming up and I couldn't watch it in the movie because it's so Ugh. cringy. Yeah. Where she's just distracting the teacher and at the last minute she flashes him mm-hmm. to get his attention. And cue rad electric guitar riff when she does it she's like wow when she like lifts her shirt up and it's like that's disgusting he's a uh, teacher like super creepy yeah and he just kind of like looks at her like he's not like he doesn't yeah react in any particular way but he also like doesn't really avert his eyes that much no and then she just leaves and I guess gets no repercussions for doing that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what is this scene even? <laughs> but then she and Patrick escape detention. And Via they, paddle boat. They are on a paddle boat in the middle of the fucking ocean or something. I don't know. <laughs> they were so far out in the middle of the water on that paddle boat. I'm like, how, how did they get there? How long did it take them to paddle that far out? <laughs> They're just like in the middle of the bay. <laughs> I... <laughs> They're so far out. Oh, my God. I just I started laughing so hard at that part. But then they have to stop to play with paintballs. And if you think this is paintball, it's not. It's balls of paint. It's water balloons filled with that paint. That you throw. Which I guess people paid money to do back then. <laughs> yeah, before paintball, I guess. <laughs> but it's a cute scene. They're running around like fighting. It's a, it's a symbol of their fighting each other. And then they like kiss. It's cute. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we get a scene shortly after this where Bianca wants to go to the prom, but because Kat's not going, she's upset about it. Yeah. And 
it's this interesting scene. It's a real kind of heart to heart moment where Kat tells Bianca about Joey mm-hmm. and why she always kind of hated Joey. And it's because you find out that they went out briefly when she was like in 10th grade. Ninth and- grade. Ninth grade. Sorry. <laughs> it was in ninth grade, Ian. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, she actually slept with him once. Yeah. And after that, she just realized she didn't want to do that anymore mm-hmm. and decided that she wasn't going to. And Joey was upset and dumped her over it. Yeah. And basically said that she had sex with him because she felt pressured into it. Mm -hmm. Everyone else was doing it and she kind of went along with it. And then afterwards she was like, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to let other people decide what I will do. Like I only do what I want to do. Exactly. And that's especially why she doesn't like Joey. And doesn't want Bianca to be with him. Yeah. I really do like this scene Mm -hmm. in terms of her confessing this. Yeah. I don't like that Bianca doesn't really listen to her at all i mean i understand bianca's point of view like she says well you were just doing that like trying to shield me from this guy but you weren't letting me make my own decisions and you never told me this anyway either like you can't make these decisions for me like i'm an adult and so i do get it i wish that they had more of a reconciliation in this moment yeah but i guess i just think like the fact that Hey, you know this guy who's really hitting on you? He banged me, your sister. Yeah. And now he wants to get with you. It's creepy. It's super creepy. And like that would be like extremely shocking to me more than anything. Yeah. That I'd be like, oh God, like he slept with you and now he wants to sleep with me. Like, no, that would be very startling. Yeah. I do get what she means, though, about like, you can't shield me. You have to let me make my own mistakes and learn from them myself. You can't just tell me these things. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I wish they like met more more in the middle yeah as opposed to them kind of like leaving on Mm -hmm. bad terms yeah um but cat does agree to go to the prom yes um so that i guess is a little bit of reconciliation for them um and so cat goes with patrick and then bianca ends up going with cameron yeah cameron shows up baby joseph gordon levitt in a tux. Yeah. Looking adorable. Of course. <laughs> as he does the whole movie. <laughs> yep. And then Joey shows up to the house. But joke's on him. Bianca's already gone because she went with Cameron. You idiot. <laughs> and the dad just closes the door on him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's at the dance. Mm-hmm. Things are going on. Michael is also going out with... With Kat's friend that we like met one time, I guess. Yeah, and she's... In love, and she loves Shakespeare, yeah, which is like a whole thing. It's, it's all kind of like random. I liked it, but it almost wasn't given enough time, yeah. So, dance scene we get a confrontation between Joey and Cameron. I, I, I was gonna say first, it's between Joey and Patrick, mm. where Joey's pissed. He's like, Yeah, why am I paying you to date Kat if I can't have Bianca? Yeah, and of course. Cat overhears this. Realizes that Patrick was only dating her because he's getting paid. money. <laughs> it's a huge betrayal. She's upset. She runs off. Um, I really like in this scene, he's trying to explain, Patrick is trying to explain that like he didn't do it for the money and he really likes her. And she's like, dude, you were lying like this whole time. I don't like, I can't trust you. And he tries to kiss her to like stop her from talking and like yeah. make it all right. And she like pushes him away. And I'm like, good. That doesn't work. Yeah, not even Heath Ledger can get away with that. Yeah, but then Joey like comes up to Cameron and is all like, how dare you be with Bianca and like punches him. And then Bianca is like, 
don't you dare touch my man. And she socks Joey right in the face. Yeah. And I love that first punch because mm-hmm. there's just this moment where he's just like, oh, shit, Bianca. Yeah, he's like, I'm a model. I have like a campaign I have to shoot. And then she just finishes the job and leaves him yeah. lying on the ground. Yes. And there's a great scene where she like pulls Joseph Gordon-Levitt up from the ground. She's like, are you okay? Which is like very Back to the Future reminiscent. <laughs> <laughs> it is. When you leaned over and said that to me, I'm like, oh my God, it is. It's like, the exact same setup almost, but, yeah, ge- but gender swapped. Exactly. And then they live happily ever after. So the aftermath of this, basically, Kat has this scene where they're in their literature class, which has been alluded to throughout the movie. <laughs> and she has to read this play that, she, or I'm sorry, she has to read this poem that she wrote. Yes. Which is a reimagining of a Shakespearean sonnet. And it's called... 10 Things I Hate About You, or I'm guessing it's probably called that. She, I, I wish I'd been counting. She lists a lot of things that she hates about him. Yes. Wouldn't it be funny if it was like only eight? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't count. It if it wasn't, I didn't either. It could, it could not be 10. But she basically speaks to Patrick, who's in the classroom, and says like, these are the things I hate about you, but it turns out that I really don't hate you, and I'm upset the way things went down between us and really shows this vulnerable side to him and shows like, I cared about you and you hurt me and I want you to know that. Yeah. And she leaves, but then he's like, it's okay, baby. I bought you a brand new Fender Stratocaster. Yeah. She's she's like, like, sweet. And then they make out. Yeah. He has this great line where he's like, yeah, I had some extra cash lying around. Some asshole paid me to take out this really great girl. (laughs) This super charming line. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how dare you be so charming? How dare you? Heath Heath Ledger. Ledger. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's how the movie wraps up. Well, Mm -hmm. That's almost how the movie wraps up, because right before the closing credits, we get a band yes. playing on the roof of this high school, of the high school. Oh, my God. This high school is looks like a fucking castle. I it's a real school. Could not believe when you told me that was a real school. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's like there's no way it looks like Hogwarts. It does. They should have filmed Hog- Hogwarts there. They should have. They should have filmed, you know, the movie Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> they should have filmed Harry Potter there. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> they should have filmed uh, Hogwarts and the um, the basement of things not known. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so we get this like helicopter shot of this band playing on the roof. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how did they get up there? How did they get all that equipment up there? And we're no. just like trying to think of the like <laughs> I know the plausibility of how they managed to do that the it's entire like a very time precarious situation <laughs> um but one thing I want to talk about though before we wrap up with 10 things I hate about you there's a, a lot I like about this which is that it's a feminist interpretation of the play where instead of Katarina being tamed and instead of her being literally tortured so that she just goes along with it, whatever her husband says instead Patrick meets her where she is and doesn't try to change her. Obviously tries to get her to open up and to bring down her walls a bit. And she is vulnerable with him, but he doesn't try to make her act any different than she is. You know, there's no scene in this movie where she gets like a makeover. Nope. Yeah. Where she becomes like, oh, the like angry or like nerdy girl becomes like pretty. She gets a makeover. There's no scene where she kind of like comes out of her shell and starts acting differently. Like she's literally the same the entire movie. 
Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like she has a lot of like strong values. Mm-hmm. But w- like we said, they're they're also like challenged a lot. Like I love yes. the one scene in the classroom. She's a teacher who's black, mm-hmm. and she gives some kind of whole spiel about the patriarchy. I, the patriarchy, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that must be really hard for you, like yes. living in this like upscale neighborhood." And yeah, he says like, "Oh, you're." white suburban middle-class life yes. must have been very difficult for you which i like that this is pointed out in the movie because yes she has this like feminist um philosophy and she stands by that but i like that there are characters that can kind of put this in perspective and be like yeah but your dad is like super rich mm-hmm. you go to this really fancy school like you have your own car you can do anything you want you're gonna go to an ivy league ivy league school put that in perspective a bit. Like you're not a champion of the people like you have privilege. And then there are other characters, like you said, that kind of mock her attitude a little bit, you know, so it's not, it's, it does kind of keep it in perspective, but it also doesn't make her out to be idiotic for believing what she believes. Absolutely not. It, it, It strikes a really good balance in that way. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are a few things I wish they had done a little bit differently. There's a whole scene where Bianca and her best friend, just kind of have this like fight in the bathroom. Oh yeah, and split up over Joey. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Ugh. why? Like that wasn't necessary. Like, no. can't they just be friends and support each other? Like, I know. What was her friendship based on? That well, chastity. That was yes, her friend's name, chastity. chastity. How could chastity do that to her? <laughs> How could you do? How that? could you name someone chastity? Oh my god, you're just you're, you're just setting yourself fate. up for failure <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, and, you know, some of the ways Cameron behaves towards Bianca and kind of his entitled attitude to an extent I find a little bit annoying and could have been handled better. But ultimately, I do find the way most of the message and positivity towards Kat as a woman and, like, her getting to be her own person Mm -hmm. and her journey just about being to open up but not change, I I thought was very good. And this is a great, I think, adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew because it takes the parts which are really interesting, which is like, oh, like this younger girl can't date or marry until the older girl, so we have to like find someone. Like that whole setup is like classic Shakespeare, classic like twisty, like stupid, but great plot. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And then also to pit two very like strong kind of like, uh, angry and very well-matched characters against each other in a, like a classic like battle of the sexes type <laughs> thing where yeah. you feel like they're really evenly matched and they kind of go at each other a little bit, you know, like all that sexual tension, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, But then it skips all the terrible the psychological torture as well yeah. as physical torture. So... For sure. So, yeah, it, it, like you said, it really takes the best parts of that story mm-hmm. and reworks them just really effectively in terms of how it recasts the characters and the roles of everyone. And yeah. And it's also unapologetically a late 90s film with the music references, uh, pop culture references, you know, the real world, the real world <laughs> is in this, you know, it's it's great. It is. It's it's thoroughly enjoyable. And thoroughly rooted in teen culture as well. For sure. So now we have to pose the ultimate question, <laughs> which is kind of hard and it weird is. in this case. Yeah, because if we're asking which one I would rather consume in terms of like reading the play, 
or watching this movie. I'd probably rather watch this movie. Oh, for sure. But in terms of like what is better, I'm probably going to go with the, this movie. I'm probably going to go with 10 Things I Hate About yeah, You. Yeah, and I mean, a big part of that is just like our perspective of Shakespeare now. Like, at the t- like obviously, I mean, Shakespeare did like amazing things oh, yeah. and like completely like changed the way people thought about story and character and mm-hmm. plot and just like to an extent where like most of us can't even quite like understand that unless we're like experts on Shakespeare. Oh, no. Yeah. So that's kind of a hard thing to like reconcile when posing this question. And I don't, I, I mean, I think this play is not, I mean, it's obviously not my favorite Shakespeare. No. And I think in a lot of Shakespeare's plays, he has a lot to say on gender um, and marriage. Yeah. That are interesting in this one. I felt like it started out really great. And I think, the characters are interesting, but the way it's handled, I wasn't really a big fan of it. And this is one of his very early comedies. So, you know, this could be, you know, his, one of the Shakespeare's first attempts Mm -hmm. at writing this type of story. And I think some of the later stories are a little better. And also this might be like an incomplete version as well. So we have to keep that in mind. Um, but even with all those facts, I would still say that 10 Things I Hate About You is is better just because I can't really stand the last half of the Taming of the Shrew oh, play. Oh, yeah. It, it's like like we said, textbook abuse and yeah. just really hard to like you can't laugh at any of it, really. No. Uh, and even comparing it to the 1967 film version of the Taming of the Shrew, which like I, like we said, I excellent. enjoyed way more than I thought I would. Yeah. And given how it is like a straight like interpretation of the original play like with the dialogue and everything pretty much intact uh i wish they had changed the final speech where she wasn't um changed at the end but even given that like there's still a lot of enjoyment and entertainment in that movie Mm -hmm. and i did enjoy it quite a bit yeah i would recommend that i would yeah i mean if you're interested in Shakespeare at all or like this story at all if you're 10 things I hate about you fan Mm -hmm. I really do think you'd like that movie quite a bit it's really well done yeah but I would still say I think 10 things I hate about you is just a more enjoyable experience yeah you get less of a emotionally upsetting story (laughs) absolutely and you get so many actors like right at the start of their careers yes and just you get to take a trip back to the 90s yes late 90s 1999 in seattle washington (laughs) baby joseph gordon levitt young heath ledger in his first u.s role Mm -hmm. julia styles before she got really big it's exciting so many people so many familiar faces so Mm -hmm. yeah 10 things i hate about you from both of us yeah let's do lightning lightning round okay so first off for lightning round um this is from the play there's a scene where Katarina and Bianca are together and it's very early in the play. And when Bianca enters a scene, like her hands are tied for some reason. Yeah. I'd forgotten this. Yeah. And I'm like, did Katarina tie up Bianca for some reason? They don't do this in the movie version that we watched with Elizabeth Taylor in it, but she's like questioning her and she's like, what guy do you like? What guy are you in love with? And Bianca's like, no one. And then Katarina's like, lies! And then like slaps her. (laughs) And then in the movie, she's like attacking her. It's a really funny scene in the movie because 
Petruccio is, keeps like ringing the doorbell, but like the two of them are like clearly fighting, and Bianca's clearly getting like the shit kicked out of her the whole time. Yeah, because <laughs> Petruccio's trying to act brave about talking to Katerina. Yeah. And but then like you just hear these like screams yeah, from in of, the like, house. Terror. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of the movie, actually. Yeah. It was really, really funny. Yeah, it was great. Uh I just want to say it's it's so it is funny in ways reading the play and reading the footnotes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't read a ton of them because a lot of times they just weren't that interesting. Yeah. But I remember one I read about a line that I was confused about and I read the footnote for it and it referenced one of the specific words and it was just like, no one knows what this means. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so funny to me, like how many scholars and experts there are on Shakespeare and just mm-hmm. language from that time and like all these other things. And they're just like, no one knows what this could mean. <laughs> they're like, there are some theories, but no one has any idea. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's just like, it is really weird that I don't know that these lines still exist and people repeat them in, in performances and in movies and like they just don't really know what they're saying. <laughs> I mean, and when you think about it, like think about how long ago that was and oh, like yeah. how we don't like some things are lost like to time, which is interesting when you think about it, especially with Shakespeare. Like there's so much we will never know. Absolutely. I'm surprised any of this is even comprehensible I know. to us reading it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's this really great scene in the movie where Joey is trying to ask Bianca to prom during her gym class and her gym class is archery and he's distracting her while she has this like bow and arrow. Yeah. And she's, she's talking to him and she turns to like reply to him. And as she turns, she like lets the arrow go and like starts (laughs) talking to Joey and like shoots her gym teacher in like the butt. (laughs) And he's just like on the ground. The way the camera, like the camera work for this joke is so good. Yeah. How she shoots off screen. And as the camera pans while they're discussing, you see him in the background just on all fours with the arrow (laughs) out of his ass. And like everyone's like rushing towards him. Yeah. And then they kind of like look over and then like continue talking. It's just so hilarious. But then we forgot the one part that was even better is he's the teacher later. In detention. In detention. And we had totally missed this joke other times we've seen the movie. Yeah. But he goes to sit on the end of his desk and then he quickly He's like, like he stands up and holds his butt. And, and we were like, like, oh, because he got shot. With oh, the my arrow. God. <laughs> <laughs> we like did not get that the first however many times we've seen this. But so great. it was really good. Uh, the other movie thing I just wanted to mention was one of my favorite little jokes. It was another very subtle thing. But at the beginning of the movie, when. Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes to talk to Patrick. Mm-hmm. It's in Woodshop, and Patrick just immediately turns around and starts drilling a hole in his French book. <laughs> it's just this really funny, like, aggressive scene that, like, scares off yeah. Cameron. But then way later in the movie, he's having one of, his t- one of his tutoring sessions with Bianca, and Bianca just says something to him very fluently in French that he doesn't understand because he yeah. doesn't know French. <laughs> and he starts frantic- frantically flipping through his book to try to figure out what she said. And it wasn't until you said something, yeah. but you were just like, oh my God, look at the holes. And it, just every page of his textbook just has this like two inch diameter hole drilled right through the oh middle of the pages. And it's like... There's not even attention drawn to the pages. No. It's just real subtle. You just notice as he's flipping that 
each page as a whole. And I just thought that was so funny. There are like so many funny parts in this movie that I wish that we could mention now in Lightning Round. I know. But unfortunately, we are out of time. But <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, I imagine almost everyone that's listening to this episode has seen this movie. Yeah. It's worth a rewatch <laughs> or a first watch. We probably have more fans of 10 Things I Hate About You as opposed to The Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. I'm guessing. Well. I don't know for sure. We'll but have to see. Well, yeah, maybe we mm-hmm. might be surprised. <laughs> so once again, I want to thank Allie, our lovely patron who suggested this episode and a couple other people who asked us to do a play. Um, now that we've done it, I think it's definitely possible that we could do more in the future. Yeah, so yeah. let us know. This was really fun to do for many reasons. Uh, it was fun to do Shakespeare. It's fun to do a play, which is different for us. And also, I really like this movie. I watched it a lot when I was younger. <laughs> Super into Heath Ledger. Who wasn't, to be honest? So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, if you want to support the podcast on Patreon, we love all of our patrons. We are... Uh, doing more now on Patreon mm-hmm. for people who support us. So uh, we're we're doing some bonus episodes. Yeah. So on our previous episode, Murder on the Orient Express, we did a bonus episode on the 1976 version of that film. Yes. Where we just kind of discuss it a little bit and how it relates to the newer version and mm-hmm. the book. And, and that's just for our patrons. It's only for patrons. So mm-hmm. if you're interested, basically in the future, if a movie or a book has more than one adaptation, we're going to try to cover the other adaptation we're not talking about in a bonus episode. Mm -hmm. So if that interests you, uh, please support us. We're also going to be posting every month all of our episodes we're coming out with that month. Yep. And just other articles and things that are relevant to the episode. Mm -hmm. So go on Patreon if that interests you. Uh, All all tiers of patrons get all access to that stuff. So... Mm -hmm. Please check it out. Yeah. And you can also support us by giving us a star rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Yep. That really helps us to get um, noticed and get find other people, have other people find our podcast. <laughs> exactly. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at cover two credits with the number two. You can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com with two spelled the normal way. We're also on Instagram. I think that is all of it. I think that's all the things. <laughs> uh, please just reach out to us. Let us know what you think of 10 things I hate about you. Yes. Or any other episodes you've listened to recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we love hearing from any of our listeners, any of your thoughts and feedback or, you know, even if you're not a patron, we like hearing yeah. uh, recommendations for episodes. Mm-hmm. Patrons just get priority. That's they do. just how it is. So mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And tune in next time because we will be talking about Good Omens. Good Omens. So excited. We're going back to Neil Gaiman. Yes. And we'll be talking about the new Amazon series coming out on it. Mm-hmm. So check us out then and we'll see you later. See you next time. Bye. Bye.